Section 179 of Childhood's Favorites and Fairy Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rhonda Fetterman. Childhood's Favorites and Fairy Stories by Various Authors. Section 179. The White Stone Canoe, adapted by H. R. Schoolcraft. There was once a very beautiful Indian maiden, who died suddenly on the day she was to have been married to a handsome young warrior. He was also brave, but his heart was not proof against this loss. From the hour she was buried there was no more joy or peace for him. He went often to visit the spot where the women had buried her, and sat musing there, when it was thought by some of his friends he would have done better to try to amuse himself in the chase, or by diverting his thoughts in the war-path. But war and hunting had both lost their charms for him. His heart was already dead within him. He pushed aside both his war-club and his bow and arrows. He had heard the old people say that there was a path that led to the land of souls, and he determined to follow it. He accordingly set out one morning after having completed his preparations for the journey. At first he hardly knew which way to go. He was only guided by the tradition that he must go south. For a while he could see no change in the face of the country. Forests and hills and valleys and streams had the same look which they wore in his native place. There was snow on the ground when he set out, and it was sometimes seen to be piled and matted on the thick trees and bushes. At length it began to diminish, and finally disappeared. The forest assumed a more cheerful appearance, the leaves put forth their buds, and before he was aware of the completeness of the change, he found himself surrounded by spring. He had left behind him the land of snow and ice. The air became mild, the dark clouds of winter had rolled away from the sky, a pure field of blue was above him, and as he went he saw flowers beside his path, and heard the songs of birds. By these signs he knew he was going the right way, for they agreed with the traditions of his tribe. At length he spied a path. It led him through a grove, then up a long and elevated ridge, on the very top of which he came to a lodge. At the door stood an old man, with white hair, whose eyes, though deeply sunk, had a fiery brilliance. He had a long robe of skins thrown loosely around his shoulders, and a staff in his hands. The young Chippewayan began to tell his story but the venerable chief arrested him before he had proceeded to speak ten words. "'I have expected you,' he replied, "'and had just risen to bid you welcome to my abode. She whom you seek passed here but a few days since, and being fatigued with her journey, rested herself here. Enter my lodge and be seated, and I will then satisfy your inquiries and give you directions for your journey from this point. Having done this, 
they both issued forth to the lodge door. "'You see yonder gulf,' said he, "'and the wide-stretching blue plains beyond. "'It is the land of souls. "'You stand upon its borders, "'and my lodge is the gate of entrance. "'But you cannot take your body along. "'Leave it here with your bow and arrows, "'your bundle and your dog. "'You will find them safe on your return.' So saying, he re-entered the lodge, and the freed traveller bounded forward as if his feet had suddenly been endowed with the power of wings. But all things retained their natural colours and shapes. The woods and leaves and streams and lakes were only more bright and comely than he had ever witnessed. Animals bounded across his path with a freedom and a confidence which seemed to tell him there was no blood shed here. Birds of beautiful plumage inhabited the groves, and sported in the waters. There was but one thing in which he saw a very unusual effect. He noticed that his passage was not stopped by trees or other objects. He appeared to walk directly through them. They were, in fact, but the souls or shadows of material trees. He became sensible that he was in a land of shadows. When he had travelled half a day's journey through a country which was continually becoming more attractive, he came to the banks of a broad lake, in the centre of which was a large and beautiful island. He found a canoe of shining white stone tied to the shore, he was now sure that he had taken the right path, for the aged man had told him this. There were also shining paddles. He immediately entered the canoe and took the paddles in his hands, when to his joy and surprise, on turning round, he beheld the object of his search in another canoe, exactly its counterpart in everything. She had exactly imitated his motions and they were side by side. They at once pushed out from shore and began to cross the lake. Its waves seemed to be rising, and at a distance looked ready to swallow them up. But just as they entered the whitened edge of them, they seemed to melt away, as if they were but the images of waves. But no sooner was one wreath of foam passed than another, more threatening still, arose. Thus they were in perpetual fear, and what added to it was the clearness of the water, through which they could see heaps of beings who had perished before, and whose bones lay strewed on the bottom of the lake. The master of life had, however, decreed to let them pass, for the actions of neither of them had been bad. But they saw many others struggling and sinking in the waves. Old and young of all ages and ranks were there. Some passed, and some sank. It was only the little children whose canoes seemed to meet no waves. At length every difficulty was gone as in a moment, and they both leaped out on the happy island. They felt that the very air was food. It strengthened and nourished them. They wandered together over the blissful fields, where everything was formed to please the eye and the ear. There were no tempests, there was no ice, no chilly winds, 
No one shivered for the want of warm clothes. No one suffered hunger. No one mourned for the dead. They saw no graves. They heard of no wars. There was no hunting of animals, for the air itself was their food. Gladly would the young warrior have remained there forever, but he was obliged to go back for his body. He did not see the master of life, but he heard his voice in a soft breeze. "'Go back,' said this voice, "'to the land from whence you came. Your time has not yet come. The duties for which I made you, and which you are to perform, are not yet finished.' Return to your people and accomplish the duties of a good man. You will be the ruler of your tribe for many days. The rules you must observe will be told you by my messenger who keeps the gate. When he surrenders back your body, he will tell you what to do. Listen to him, and you shall afterward rejoin the spirit which you must now leave behind. She is accepted and will be ever here as young and as happy as she was when I first called her from the land of snows. When this voice ceased, the narrator awoke. It was all the fabric of a dream, and he was still in the bitter land of snows, and hunger, and tears. End of section 179 Recording by Rhonda Fetterman